The word multimedia is the use of a variety of artistic or communicative media using more than one medium of expression or communication. Café is a type of establishment that serves coffee and is known as a place where information can be exchanged. The following is the audio version of the Multimedia Café. And a happy Wednesday, January 16th, 2019, to you folks out there. This is the Multimedia Café. My name is Jason Spies. I'd like to thank you very much for joining the conversation. Pull up a stool, joining the conversation right here on the Multimedia Cafe. Now, what we do here is we've embraced modern technology in all of its forms, its different kinds. So here we have conversations over Skype, over telephone, face-to-face, a variety of different ways to talk to different people. And really, that's what the Multimedia Cafe is. You never know who you're going to run into here at the Multimedia Cafe or what topic we're going to be talking about today. Well, I'll tell you what we're going to be talking about today. We've got a fantastic program in store for you today here at the Multimedia Cafe. Today we talk with Tom Pexcamp. He's a singer-songwriter. In fact, a lot of the music you hear going out of the segments into the commercial break so not the stuff coming into but out to uh that's actually tom Pexcamp. he's uh singing he's a singer songwriter on it he's with the moody river band he also performs solo as well and so we kind of have some mix of his music on today's program the moody river band free that's their website if you want to check out and get some free music from them actually i think they actually sell a few albums now for the first like 10 years of their band's existence, they just gave away their music for free. And then in the last few years, I guess, you know, some bills came knocking at the door and they realized they should probably monetize their albums. And so uh, we're here to help them out. Tom Pexcamp is a very good uh, friend of the program. And Moody River Band, they perform all over the upper Midwest. One of those high-energy bands, a lot of outdoor street fairs and a lot of... Uh, uh, just outdoor venues, put it that way, because their energy is so big that uh, they get people up and dancing, man. The Moody River Band, check them out. Okay, who else do we got on today's program? Chris Cottrell. Chris Cottrell, he's with Paul Hastings, a mergers and acquisitions attorney, uh, primarily in the oil and gas world. So we talked to him about a variety of different things. From um, He's got a real problem with this Wall Street Journal article that came out recently on fracking. And the evaluation of companies. And so he talks about how there's changes that have happened in the SEC uh, regulations and even in the oil and gas industry. And the way the Wall Street Journal is projecting the valuations of companies and some of their uh, energy predictions, it's wrong. And he explains why. Chris Cottrell, Paul Hastings, uh, talks about why he very much so disagrees with the Wall Street Journal article on fracking and how they're evaluating companies really good interview the guy knows his stuff he's gonna be back on this program i know that after as soon as i was done talking with him i knew we'd have him back he's a wealth of knowledge and i really invite you guys to check it out uh, a little bit later on in the program and then uh, our kid correspondent otis kids in capitalism he's got linda mcmahon on today boy he gets better guests than i do here at the multimedia cafe and Linda McMahon, of course, stops by a cafe. In fact, 
That's where Otis interviewed her, was at a uh, cafe, a coffee shop. And they talk about entrepreneurship. So young entrepreneurs are kids in capitalism kid cast uh, with Linda McMahon and multimedia kidpreneur Otis. All that coming up on today's program. It's really a fantastic program. Uh, the next 60 minutes are going to be a wild ride, and I invite you folks to come on board here at the Multimedia Cafe. We're going to start off here in just a minute or two with Tom Pexcamp. He's a singer-songwriter and a good friend of the program. And, in fact, I'm going to play for you some of his music here. And what you're listening to is a song called Broadway. And this song was written and performed by Tom Pexcamp, who's our guest. Coming up next on the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. And I'm walking, I'm talking, I'm smoking, I'm joking with the people that I know. And I'm thinking, I'm drinking, I'm spinning, I'm grinning. Hope my car starts Over the past few months, I've told you about how unbelievable Hatch Coaching is. Don't just take my word for it. Listen to what Christy Huber, president of the United Way of Cass Clay, says about Hatch Coaching. One of the best things I can share is I've had an opportunity to sit down with a community leader and Eric. And we were talking and this community leader said, you know, United Way, what's your connection there? And Eric said, you know, as a child, my family would have been a family that would have benefited from United Way programming. And you don't necessarily get to see that down the road because you see someone who's been very successful in business and you see somebody who has um, helped a lot of other people along the way. But sometimes we don't stop to ask, you know, what's, what's the why? What's your why behind that? To find out more about Hatch Coaching or to have Eric Hatch speak at your event or company, visit HatchCoaching.com. That's HatchCoaching.com. Or call 701-212-1572. That's 701-212-1572. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies and I'm your host today. The Multimedia Cafe. You never know who you're going to run into or what topic you're going to talk about. Take our next guest, Tom Pexcamp. He's a singer-songwriter performs with the Moody River Band all over the upper Midwest, Montana, South Dakota, Wyoming, North Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin, probably even Nebraska, I'd imagine. Great conversation coming up here with Tom Pexcamp, singer-songwriter with the Moody River Band and solo artist Tom Pexcamp. Tom Pexcamp a little bit. When did you start playing music? Oh, my mom bought me a guitar when I was 17. Um, she kept on trying to stick instruments in my hand and started with a saxophone maybe when I was in grade school and uh, that didn't stick and a and, uh, keyboard here and there and uh, eventually I asked her to buy me a guitar and um, from there on I, she, she played too. She's a musician. She plays stand-up bass and, and sings and had a, had a little folk duel in Minnesota for a few years and kind of kind of was a good a good window into learning um, you know, chords and, and a few of those old folk songs that kind of got me going. Your mom had a folk duel? Yep, yep. Okay. Called the, the Grainery Girls. The, the Grainery? The, the Grainery. Grainery Girls? Yep, yep. They, they, um, her and another lady, uh, the lady lived on an old hippie commune, and her and her husband awesome. were the only, the only two that were left. And uh, they had taken all the buildings and converted them into living spaces. 
Okay, like the silos? Since like the silo. Okay. Well, I, they had a silo, I think, and then the, the grain was a grain storage that they, they, they turned into a, um, a living a pot belly stove and the whole thing. And very, very homey, very um, country, but a, a fun place to be. I, I got to stay there a few times, and it was a great place to create. I wrote a few songs there even. And, so and do I, they still play? or They, they do not. Okay. Um, I, I think they had a falling out. Nothing nothing crazy, but just, you know, life life happens. And, life happens. And, um, yeah, but they were together almost eight, ten years, I think. Okay, so... They, so how long have you been playing professionally so, where you got your first gig? Probably just 17 years, 18 years. Okay, and did you play before then, like, say, at band recitals or music concerts? No, I, I, had, I had no music um, history. I wasn't in choir. Okay. I wasn't in band. I, I think I played the saxophone for about three months in sixth grade. Okay. And uh, that just it didn't stick. And then, uh, you know, just learning a few chords and writing songs and, and uh, in high school, my senior year, I ended up um, writing a song for Macbeth. We had a project. And uh, I uh, stayed up. I was going to do this art drawing or something like that. And uh, never happened. And the night before, of course, you're working on it till the mm-hmm. last minute. And uh, so I grabbed my guitar at about 10 o'clock, you know, and I had to get this done by noon the next day. And um, ended up writing a song, and I finished it in my free period the, day, the, the next day and went in and played it. And I got, you know, an A on the project. And it's been one of my songs that we play with the band even now, so... What song? Uh, it's, it's called Macbeth. Macbeth, yeah. okay. And did, did you write the lyrics, the music, or both? Both, both. Yeah. So Which did you do first? Um, I, had, well, I, had, I had a few chords down, so it was just pretty pretty simple, you know, three, four chord song. Start with the chorus or start with the... Um, you know, no, I would start with a verse. Okay, yeah, yeah. okay. Um, so, uh, what was it? Nothing in his life became him like leaving it. Fair as fall and the fall is believing it. That's got to be pretty you know, neat. So your first kind of song, stuff, so. and you're still using it today? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, the one thing that really kind of got me awesome. excited about it was, I think, maybe some of the attention that um, that, that was, you know, throughout, throughout, you know, talking with people the other day, and, oh, Tom played, and he had, you know, and I didn't really have much confidence in it, and it was nice to hear some feedback and um, and get some confidence, you know, and a few girls came up and talked to me, and I was kind of like, hey, you know, it's, maybe there's something to this. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, girls being a great motivation. Yes, kinda, they are. Kind of started me down that road, and, and uh, then just the expression <laughs> of it all, and it, it, it turned into um, the creative aspect of it, and, and, and it being your counselor and your, psych- your psychologist, and, mm-hmm. you know, a good day, you grab the guitar, a bad day, you grab the guitar and and the the songs go in and and uh you know the the worry goes out you know and that was tom peckscamp singer songwriter also part of the moody river band coming up next on the multimedia cafe chris cottrell with paul hastings my name is jason spies this is the multimedia cafe well now the sharks in the water they think you're pretty Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies, and I'm your host today. The Multimedia Cafe. You never know who you're going to run into, what topic is going to be talked about, and how you're going to be talking to them. Well, up next, we talk with Chris Cottrell. He's with Paul Hastings, and we connect with him over the phone line. This is Chris Cottrell with Paul Hastings. Chris Cottrell with Paul Hastings. Excellent, and I appreciate you joining the program here. And I tell you, I got a recent blog post, guest post, written article. I guess I'm not even really sure how to phrase them these days because so many blog posts are written better than 
articles are in newspapers, so I hate to detract from one to do to the other, but uh, that's what we're going to kind of talk about a little bit. You, you called it fracking, fracking's secret problem, I guess debunked fracking secret problem. So um, first of all, let's, let's start off by uh, introducing yourself a little bit, and then we'll go into the um, debunked fracking secret problem and kind of go from there a little bit. So uh, where, where are you located? So I'm uh, located in uh, Houston, Texas. Okay. I'm a uh, energy mergers and acquisitions attorney, which basically means I, that I help uh, energy related companies buy and sell assets. And uh, and I and I uh, work for a firm called Paul Hastings. Okay, so it, it's safe to say that you got your finger on the pulse of a lot of uh, mergers, acquisitions, energy talk, that sort of thing, and you're able to filter through which is uh, hearsay, scuttlebutt, and which ones are probably more likely to happen than not. Would that be fair to say? Well, we, yeah, you know, we try to do our best to stay stay close to our clients and, and hear what's going on and, and, you know, keep our ear to the ground. Okay. Well, let's talk about your column here, debunked fracking secret problem. Just, uh, I guess, what, 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 what led you to, I guess, have that title? You know, I mean, there's, there's kind of a lot in there. You got debunked and secret, so it, it's very eye-catching, is what I'm getting at. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, as you know, oil prices uh, have come down from, you know, high of seventy-five at, at the uh, beginning of October. You know. In, you know, all the way down to 45 at the end of the year. Um, seems like prices have stabilized a bit at 50, um, but at any time you see a big price drop in the industry, there, there seems to be a lot of articles uh, written, you know, kind of trashing the industry and, and, you know, trying to pull facts and figures to kind of misrepresent the, the truth. You know, I was, I was, going uh, through my news feed one morning and I and I came across this Wall Street Journal article um, you know and it was titled fracking secret problem oh wells are producing as much as forecasted so they that was published last week January 2nd and uh, you know after after going through it I, I felt that it was you know mischaracterized a lot, a lot about our industry and I felt that someone needed to, uh, you know, make it clear, you know. And you're talking about the uh, Wall Street Journal's article, the one that fracking secret problem, correct? Yes, yep. absolutely. Okay, and and in their deal, they were just, like you said, they were talking about the oil wells aren't producing as much, which is not uh, a new finding. I mean, the uh, the wells have been have been, uh, you know, having a pretty steep drop-off since, you know, six, seven, eight years ago since they really started doing a lot of the uh, fracking and hydraulic fracturing, that sort of thing. Um, what? Let's talk a little bit uh, before we, I guess, get too far a little bit of a sidebar. Uh, what did you make of the Wall Street Journal article, I guess? Well, you know, I, I think you're right. I think, I think uh, you know, on, on average pretty well known that that you know some wells in some uh shale plays aren't producing wh what was expected you know the the um i guess the surprising thing for me was that 
it seemed like the Wall Street Journal article wasn't researched very well. Um, and the other thing about the article was that it skewed a lot of the, you know, background, the history in the industry, as well as a lot of the projections that they showed. Well, what I've noticed, and, and this is going to be a total little sidebar here, um, the reason I kind of mentioned earlier about the blogs and how they seem to be, a lot of bloggers these days seem to be doing better journalism than a lot of the, you know, j journalists, I guess, is it almost seems like, you know, the Wall Street Journal is telling you how to feel. And a lot of the, you know, bloggers and people like yourself are telling us facts. And so we can actually come to our own conclusions and make up our own mind. Um, that, that's what I got out of that Wall Street Journal is almost there was more emotion in there than there was fact. Do, do you know what I'm saying by that? Am I way off base? Well, I definitely agree with, with the, you know, it seemed like it was a one-sided argument, right? There, there's, there seems to be a, a shift, particularly when we read articles about the oil and gas industry. Every now and then you come across these these articles that are just one-sided. They're not down the fairway. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if you want to kind of talk about the article, but, you know, essentially what they're arguing uh, is that over time, you know, it seems like the market has moved away from, from the way that they valued oil and gas companies in 2007 to where, where we are today, right? They're, they're, the market's valuing these companies at historic highs. And, you know, basically they're, they're saying, well, you know, it's because the industry is creating this, all this propaganda and false, uh, you know, analysis of their proved reserves, which is, you know, about as far from the truth as, as you can get. And, you know, the other disappointing thing about the article is that, you know, at the very top, it had a, it had a figure, you know, that they, that they had made, I guess, but, you know, it only had about six companies on there, um, which really skews a lot of the analysis. Sure. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the uh, SEC, if you wouldn't mind, a little bit, because they have to be involved here with a lot of the methodology and even the valuation portion of it. Um, a lot of the rules and regulations have changed over the past decade. How does that play into all this when it comes to evaluating and coming out with uh, even prognosticating what's going to happen? Yeah, absolutely. So that's a that's a really good point. Um, you know, the, the SEC came out with a with a ruling uh, December 31st, 2008, and they, they came out with a, a, a new rule that essentially revised the disclosure requirements for oil and gas companies, you know, related to their reserves. And what the SEC was trying to do is, is modernize and update the disclosure requirements to reflect the industry. And you know, the changes in the industry, the practices in the industry, and you know the other thing is that they they feel it's very important 
to present investors with information that, that they're going to find valuable. Um, so essentially, you know, one of the changes that they adopted was that they were going to start having uh, companies value their reserves on a 12-month, you know, first of the, of the day of the month historical average. Cottrell with Paul Hastings. I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment. We're going to take a quick break here on the Multimedia Cafe. Take a moment, grab yourself a cup of coffee. Maybe it's a hot tea or maybe it's one of those cool press coffees. One of those ones that is cold now, nitrogen infused even. I tell you the specialty coffees are getting like the specialty beers. Anyway, all right, I digress a little bit. we got to take a quick break and we come back. Chris Cottrell with Paul Hastings right here on the Multimedia Cafe. seems everywhere I go these days, someone is telling me about the success of Hatch Coaching. Listen to what professional speaker Mark J. Lindquist has to say. To see Eric Hatch grow his business and then start to share it with other people, I think is one of those great steps in life. You know, what do you do in society? You succeed at a thing and then you teach other people how you did it. And now to see Eric duplicating his genius across the country, I'm telling you. There's a world changer down the street, and his name is Eric Hatch. For more information, call 701-212-1572 or visit coachingwithhatch.com. That's coachingwithhatch.com. How does investors play into this? If um, you've seen them increase, drop, I guess, when it comes to these different rules and regulations and inflated pricing and that sort of thing. What are uh, investors saying in this whole thing? Are they investing, not investing, waiting to see? I guess just kind of from there, the investment standpoint, because I do want to ask you about the word uncertainty as well, because that word has been coming up more and more in the last few months, and that's what they used during the last downturn was uncertainty. So uh, let's talk about the investment side of things. Just kind of what, what are some of your investors saying about either the article or just kind of some, some of the sentiments, either from what you're arguing or what the Wall Street Journal is trying to put out there? Well, so if you apply the rules, you know, well, let me back up for a second. You know, I think, I think we know that, that there's, you know, in general in the stock market, there's a little bit of turbulence right now uh, that hopefully is, is correcting as, as we begin this year, you know, there's, there's global trade issues. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of, a lot of things that go into, you know, what affects the financial markets. But I think overall we can agree that there's some turbulence right now. Sure. Um, applying that to the oil and gas industry, you know, obviously, you know, we're, we're experiencing a downturn in pricing. So, you know, mix the global issues with, with the pricing, we got hit particularly hard, you know, at the end of last year, 
and so far this you know the BM 2019. If you take the SEC uh, methodology, would you know it, it can produce kind of funny results. Uh, you know, I think you kind of see that in the Wall Street Journal article. But you know, I'll I'll throw some numbers out at you, and and uh, you can understand kind of the situation. So, if you go back to January first of two thousand seven, prices were right at about sixty bucks a barrel, and you go you fast forward to the end of the year in 2007 and prices were right at 95 bucks a barrel. And the average for the entire year was about $71. If you fast forward to 2017, prices were, uh, the beginning of the year at $52. They, they raised to $60 at the end of 2017 and the average for 2017 was $51. And so I know that's confusing, uh, but essentially what you have to ask yourself is, you know, if you're an investor in 2017, you see, you see prices start at 52 bucks end at 60. Do you think prices will continue to rise, you know, past 60 or are they going to fall back to the average of 2017, which was 51? Right. And and so I think a lot of people were predicting prices to continue to increase in 2018, which they did, you know, up until October. And, you know, going back to 2007, if if they had the rules at that time, you know, they would have had to uh, value the reserves at seventy one dollars for that year. You know, but price prices finished out strong at ninety five. So if you can book reserves at 95 bucks a barrel, you know, obviously you're going to get a much higher number than if you're, if you're booking reserves at 51, right? So, so effectively what you're getting is, you know, a, a year that could close very strong with pricing, like in 2017 at 60, but you're still stuck at the 51 number and, and it could artificially lower the reserve value for these companies. Sure. Uh, Chris Cottrell with Paul Hastings, uh, mergers acquisitions attorney. We're talking a little bit about um, some of the activity happening in the oil and gas industry, as well as I would say behind the scenes as well. Every time there seems to be a downturn, there does seem to be some mergers and acquisitions. Just kind of seems to be the nature of the beast, whether it's centralization or whatever the case might be. I think the last time it was a Baker Hughes and Halliburton even. So, I mean, it doesn't seem like, it seems like everybody's uh, open for mergers and acquisitions during, during these times. Um, I wanted to ask you about the steel tariffs. And I don't know if you guys have done any talk on this or heard anything from your uh, clients or, or colleagues, but I've heard a few rumblings up here in the uh, upper Midwest and in the sh some of the uh, Colorado Rockies and, and um, I should say the Rocky Mountain region as well as the Bakken. Just some concerns because there's so much infrastructure projects going on with pipelines. And of course, pipelines use steel. And of course, there's a lot of uh, midstream companies that use steel as well. And so their concerns are when the 
taxes or the tariffs or whatever kick in. Uh, have you heard anything uh, in discussion when it comes to any sort of new tariffs, taxes, fees, regulatory costs in the 2019? You know, that, that's left to be seen. I think, I think you know, you, you do hear a lot of grumblings. I think, I think people, you know, want those tariffs to be lifted. They want, they want the, the market efficiency. They want, you know, the lowest pricing they can get for, for those goods. And so, you know, not only does it affect the midstream pipeline infrastructure uh, projects, but it, it, it does to a, a certain extent affect, um, you know, upstream drilling because steel's also involved in that process. So I think, I think we all want to see, you know, the cheapest pricing possible. Yeah, I don't think anybody really knows quite what to expect yet. I mean, they know it's coming, but they don't know what to do until it, I guess, hits. And a lot of costs are being absorbed, I guess. But um, it's interesting how that's going to play out. That's, that's one of those things I've been watching because that seems to be a little bit different during this downturn than, say, the last one. I mean, up in the Bakken where I'm located, the uh, last downturn, they still were drilling about a million barrels a day. So they were able to uh, go down to almost like a pulse of of uh, rig count, but they were still able to produce quite a bit, um, still, uh, with, with low prices. So I, to me, that just seemed like the industry changed a little bit to where they almost had a little bit more um, predictability as opposed to the boom-bust cycled than it was back in the 80s and that sort of thing um have you guys noticed that at all with any of your clients that the the you know the new age of oil or uh the modern shale play have anybody commented on how that's different over the last 20 30 years yeah i mean you know the shale plays you know it's it's truly a, a phenomenal success story and you know one thing i i want your listeners to to um realize or think about is the fact that show play show plays are not unique to the united states okay it's a global resource but despite despite that fact you only see you know the the real development happening in the united states and that's that's probably because it's it's you know truly an american story about you know, us having the best, the brightest, the, t- the most talented people, you know, and, and being able to be entrepreneurial, you know, get out there, develop this resource and, and you know, come up with innovations, find ways to get product out of the ground for, for less money. And that was Chris Cottrell with Paul Hastings. If you'd like to check out the full-length interview, check out our Facebook page or our YouTube page. A lot of the interviews, most of the interviews, if not all of the interviews, end up on our Facebook page and our YouTube page as videos as well as podcasts over iTunes. Of course, the interviews, the full-length interviews are on iTunes as well. So go subscribe. Leave us a comment or two. That would be outstanding. Apparently, a lot of that ranking is important nowadays. You know, I kind of miss the old days where you just tell your waitress at the cafe they did a good job and you leave a tip and everything was cool. Now you got to go yelp it and you got to manufacture a star and all these different things, you know. Anyway, see, I digress again. This is what happens 
at the Multimedia Cafe. You never know what you're going to talk about, and you never know who you're going to run into. Well, guess who we're going to run into next? Linda McMahon. She is the co-owner of the WWE, the World Wrestling Entertainment. She's also the United States Small Business Administrator as part of Donald Trump, President Trump's cabinet. Uh, Linda McMahon, and I'll tell you what, Otis, our multimedia kidpreneur, he's 12 years old, he scored the interview. That's right. Multimedia kidpreneur Otis and Linda McMahon, the United States Small Business Administrator and co-owner of the WWE, up next, right here on the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Even when the storm comes, I am washed by the water. Even when the earth crumbles under my feet. Even when the ones I love turn around and crucify me. I won't ever ever let you down. I won't fall. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool, joining the conversation here today at the Multimedia Cafe. All right, coming up next, we've got a multimedia kidpreneur, Otis. He's 12 years old, and he scored a great interview with Linda McMahon. She's the co-owner of the WWE. Her and her husband, Vince McMahon, own the World Wrestling Entertainment. Of course, WWF it was known for back in the 80s for some of you who might not have tuned in wrestling since Hulk Hogan lost the title. Uh, anyways, uh, Otis scores the interview with Linda McMahon. She's also the small business administrator for Donald Trump, President Trump's cabinet. Uh, great interview. I'm very proud of the 12-year-old Otis, the media sensation, the multimedia kidpreneur. He has these uh, kids casts, they're called. It's part of his Kids in Capitalism business. That's right, he's 12 years old. He owns his own business. It's called Kids in Capitalism. And uh, we actually pick up his kid casts. We're one of his clients, I guess you'd call it, because we air his interviews right here on the Multimedia Cafe because this is actually where the interview happened. It happened in a cafe. Linda McMahon, Multimedia Kidpreneur Otis at Sandy's Donuts, sitting down and having a little bit of a donut and coffee and talking. Well, Multimedia Kidpreneur Otis didn't have any coffee, but he had some donuts. And that interview is coming up right now. This is Multimedia Kidpreneur Otis with Kids in Capitalism and his interview with Linda McMahon, the small business administrator and co-owner of the WWE. Hello, my name is Otis with the Kids in Capitalism KidCast, and today we have Linda McMahon, the small business administrator, and we're going to ask her a few questions if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Uh, what was your first job? My first job was being a uh, cashier in a grocery store. I was a local uh, grocery store, and my friends, my parents' friends owned the uh, grocery store, so they trained me to be a cashier, and that was my first sort of real job. I'd done babysitting jobs before that, but that was my first sort of big job. All right. Uh, how does the SBA help young entrepreneurs like myself? 
you know, I don't know that we have the kind of programs we ought to have for young entrepreneurs, except that I think that you can go online, and I bet your generation does that an awful lot. <laughs> we go to sba.gov, and you can see all the programs that are available that you might just learn about. So when you're maybe a little older, ready to start your business other than your podcasting business, you can get some, um, some of the basics. Well, what advice do you have for young entrepreneurs like me? I just applaud that you have the courage to go out and do something on your own and just keep at it because, you know, we we build our cities and our states and our countries on small businesses. They are the innovators and they are the creators. And so just uh, keep up with what you're doing. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to fail. This concludes our interview with uh, Linda McMahon, uh, the Small Business Administrator. Uh, Thanks for your time. Thank you very much. I think that's a wrap. <laughs> and that was multimedia kidpreneur Otis and Linda McMahon, the small business administrator for the United States, as well as the co-owner of the WWE World Wrestling Entertainment. As I mentioned, uh, Kids and Capitalism Kidcast and multimedia kidpreneur Otis. For more information or to check out other interviews, you can check out Otis's website, kidsandcapitalism.com. That's Kids and Capitalism. And I'll tell you what, he's, in, he's got quite a list of interviews. He's interviewed U.S. senators, business owners, inventors, farmers, ranchers. That kid is collecting some knowledge that is so well-rounded. I'll tell you what, keep your eye on Otis, that little 12-year-old sensation. He's, he's going he's gonna to set the world on fire. He's doing a fantastic job, and we are so proud of him here at the Multimedia Cafe. That's kidsandcapitalism.com to check it out. Okay. Looks like we're almost out of time. It's getting pretty close, so we're going to have to wrap her up here. I'll tell you what. What we're going to do is we're going to play a little more Tom Pexcamp, the singer-songwriter who started the program off. You know, we bumped into him here at the Multimedia Cafe. He's sitting down having a little lunch, so we talked to him about a CD release party and some of the other things. But uh, we'll listen to a little Tom Pexcamp here on the way out on today's program, the Multimedia Cafe. Like to thank Tom Pexcamp, singer-songwriter, for coming on by. He's also with the Moody River Band, Tom Pexcamp. Also like to thank Chris Cottrell with Paul Hastings to talk a little bit about mergers and acquisitions, oil prices. Also, his opinion on the Wall Street Journal's journalism, which has, seems to diminish over the last few years. He cites some great examples. Chris Cottrell with Paul Hastings. Thank you very much for joining us today. And, of course, Linda McMahon, the small business administrator for the United States and co-owner of the WWE. Thank you very much for joining the program today. And Kids and Capitalism's multimedia kidpreneur Otis, appreciate your help today. Couldn't have done it without you. And I'm looking at the clock, and that's all the time we got. So this is Tom Pexcamp playing us out till tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow, folks. My name is Jason Spies, and this has been the Multimedia Cafe.
Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. 